bless our time this morning, we pray, as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Where's Pastor Chris? I don't know. You have to ask somebody else. But, uh, you know, prior to him going to Uganda, we had talked about um, doing Titus, doing it a little bit differently. I was going to teach chapter one a couple weeks back for those of you that were here. He was supposed to teach chapter two. I told you guys at the end of chapter one, read ahead. This is Pastor Chris's part. Well, then when he was in Philadelphia, he called me and he said, we're going to have a change of plans. Pastor Isaac's going to be here last week. And then you're going to do chapter two next week. And then I'm going to close out with the book with chapter three the following week. So here we are, Titus chapter two. Surprise, surprise. Right. And so just as a reminder where we were a couple weeks ago in the first chapter of Titus, Paul was writing this letter to a man named Titus, one of one of Paul's uh, faithful servants that went with him in ministry that was alongside of Paul that was a church planter we talked about this guy having a sort of like a thick skin whereas Timothy Paul instructed him to uh, you know God's not giving us a spirit of fear like in other words get in there and just do it Tim but to Titus he just says go there and do this and Titus is that guy and so it says that we, we learned that Titus was given instructions on qualifications to look for for church overseers, uh, pastors, bishops, elders, uh, and the inner the New Testament uses those words interchangeably, all to mean essentially overseer of a church. And so Titus was instructed in a problem that was going on in the church in Crete, and Paul told him, "I'm going to leave you there, and I want you to deal with these things that are out of order. I want you to set in order." the things that are out of order. And then he gives him instructions on what to look for in a, in a pastor. And then uh, as we move in, I told you also a couple weeks back that when we looked at that, those were the qualifications for pastors, elders, overseers, but that doesn't mean that you're off the hook from what's required. These are all qualities that Jesus has. Right? And then, but I did say, hold on, because chapter two is going to cover the rest of the church body. And if in actuality, what this is, is this is how leaders, how the pastor is to instruct the people in godly living. What we're getting here in Titus is essentially a sneak peek into the teacher's lesson plan. Right? Maybe you were a kid, if you had that lesson plan, that would have been great in school, right? Because you knew exactly what you'd need to study for. Right? The lesson plan for those of you who are teachers who have done any kind of teaching, typically has some like learning objectives and then it has uh, sub learning objectives to that. And that's sort of what we're getting here. So an outline for Titus chapter two is number one, instructions in godly living for all. But then under that sub sub to that would be instructions for older men, instructions for older women, instructions for young women. Instructions for young men and instructions for slaves uh, or what we would call in our culture employees. Some of you feel like slaves at work. And then number, yeah, indentured servants. Uh, number two would be training by grace. Right? Lessons in grace and looking for Jesus. And so 
We're going to begin back in chapter 1 at verse 10. We're going to get a running start into chapter 2. Because if you remember, these are letters that were written to people or to churches. And so if you were to get a letter, it wasn't broken up by chapter and verse. People did that later on to make it easier for us to find. But when they got a letter, just like if you get a letter in the mail, you typically will open the letter and you'll read the whole thing so that you know the whole content of the letter and who it's from. Most of the New Testament epistles, maybe aside from Romans and First and Second Corinthians, you can read in just a few minutes sitting down. So if you, and I would encourage you to do that as you read these, don't read like chapter one and stop at home. Like read the whole context, catch the flow of what's being said. But for time's sake, and I, I was joking with Larry earlier and I told him we're going to be here for a couple hours today. We're just going to order pizzas in and, you know, uh, we're not going to leave you like communion for lunch. Okay. <laughs> oh, there he, there he is. He's got his thumbs up. He's down for that. So I'm just kidding. We won't be here that long. But uh, we're going to get a running start here in chapter 10 uh, as Paul's explaining what the problem is with the church leadership at that time. And then we're going to move into chapter two. So it says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of filthy lucre, as the King James says, dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now, Paul begins to Titus, but as for you, Titus, in contrast to what we just read, there's insubordinate idol talkers, deceivers, especially of the circumcision. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good. Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. This is why Chris skipped out on today. Man, I should have saw that coming. Just kidding about that too. But instructions for older men and older women, right? First, as we look at verse one, it says, as for you, speak the things which are proper or fitting for sound doctrine we don't we don't typically use the word or i I don't hear it used typically sound right and so when i think of sound i think of a stereo system bumping right what's the sound like 
or the sound system. But I don't think of sound in this manner, which means uh, wholesome, healthy, safe, and sound. Right? Which, so he tells them, speak the things which are fitting for wholesome, healthy, safe teaching. How do we get wholesome, healthy, safe teaching? We, we get it in the Word of God. If we depart from the Word of God, if we pick a verse and build a sermon around it, we can pick and choose and make God's Word say whatever we want it to. There's all kinds of funky doctrines out there because people depart from the Word of God. The Word of God is where you get safe, wholesome, solid teaching. It's where you learn how to live your life as a believer. And as much as I'm a fan of like those devotional books, you know, the ones that have like a little little snippet for you to read and then it tells you something, and that's not, that shouldn't be the extent of your devotion. Spend time in the Word of God. You, that's why we at, here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in teaching line upon line, verse upon verse. Why? Because as we go line upon line and verse upon verse, we see what was said in the context. We read it in the context. You can't twist it if it's in context. If the pastor says something that's funky, you can go, that doesn't line up. I read it with my own eyes. So I would encourage you to bring a Bible too and read it, if you, even a Bible app. But read it. We want you to be sound in the faith. We want you to have sound teaching. And then he says, here's what, here's what you're going to teach to the older men. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. So older men and we see older women and i'm going to talk about it a little bit more but when we see that word here in the context if you look up the greek it literally means aged men aged women and then it says comma old <laughs> and so in context it's talking about like elderly people and so again hold on to that thought cuz i'm going to move through that and so the older men, this is what you're to instruct them in, to be sober. Now, we'll see in this chapter alone, we'll see the word sober used three different times. Now, the other two times in this chapter, the word sober means clear-minded, clear-headed, you know what you believe. In this particular word that's here is a different word, and it means not intoxicated. Or not given to, it either could mean abstinence from alcohol or intoxicants, or it could mean moderation. But the idea that the Bible, uh, last week or last time we talked about for elders, leaders, pastors, that it, alcohol shouldn't even be in your vocabulary. But if that's not you, the Bible doesn't forbid alcohol in the world, in the church. What the Bible forbids is drunkenness, excess. Now, I will tell you that the Bible doesn't have a whole lot good to say about alcohol. It says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. You know, it, it talks about 
the the way that the the wine swirls in the glass and it seductively like deceives you and then you take of it and you become intoxicated and you go to the immoral woman judgment is the first thing to go with alcohol if you don't know that before you can't do this you've lost judgment okay so i'm not saying go out and have a liquor fest but if you have wine with drink, if you I'm with drink with with dinner, you know if you whatever you, you know what I'm saying. You're not going to hell. You're not living in sin. But when it comes to excess drunkenness, alcoholism, those things the Bible calls sin. Our culture calls them a disease, and to an extent, I understand why, and I know because it is something like that. But it's also a sin. Okay, so we're going to get off that topic of alcohol or we're going to move on. But I think it's interesting that he says specifically for the old men, tell them not to be drunk, to be sober. He also tells them to be reverent, to be honorable, to be temperate. That means self-controlled, to be sound, again, solid uh, in the faith, to be sound in love, to be sound in patience. These are all things that you would expect from an older saint. And in our culture, the elderly are like shelved. When you travel around the world, the elderly are honored. They're put in a place of, of honor in the family. You know, it's, it's, Grandpa often lives with the family. And he's a source of wisdom and instruction for the younger people in the house. And so find some older saints that are full of wisdom. Go out to lunch with them. Ask them about their history and their walk with the Lord and see what they have to say. Because if you've ever had that opportunity, there's nothing quite like sitting down with someone who's been walking with the Lord for 50, 60, 70 years and just hearing them talk of his faithfulness throughout through peaks and through valleys, it just can tell you about how faithful God is. So then, he talks about, can we just say mature? I don't like to say old women. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay, But the, the older women, the mature women, likewise, they be reverent, they be honorable in behavior, not slanderers, and the word slander here is a false accuser, a gossip. If you have a, a Spanish-speaking background, the chismosa, right? not given to wine or much wine, teachers of good things. So again, similar instructions to the older men. And I find it interesting that these instructions have to be given at all, right? When I, when I picture an older man, an older woman, like typically you think of like, oh, that sweet old guy or that sweet old lady. And they look like the people that you should hug. But that's not always the case, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys are, I'm sure you know who like Betty White is, right? She looks... She looks like a sweet old lady. She sounds like a sweet old lady, that voice that she has. 
but the profanity that comes out of her mouth, she's a filthy... I won't go further. But it makes me so angry like when I see that because she looks like... You just want to like hug her. But man, that shouldn't be so. And this is the instructions to the church. And I find it interesting that Paul's got to give these instructions to be instructed in the church. Well, why was that? Crete, much like the United States, is a culture filled with idol worship, sexual immorality, anything goes under Roman and sort of Grecian cultures. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, all of these things that we're sort of fighting, fighting and battling against today in our culture as Christians were going on there. So these people were coming to church and they're getting saved. And now this is the instruction that they need in the church to keep the church in order. First, the leaders were supposed to look a certain way. If the leaders aren't in order, how is the body going to be in order? But if the leaders are in order and have Jesus, number one, as the head of the church, then the body can also follow suit. If I can look at my pastor and say, well, that guy's got his life in order. And he's instructing me. Now I can go, okay, well, I can take that from him. But if the pastors are living like these others, deceiving and in it for the money and doing all these other things that he lists here, it's a lot harder for me as, as someone sitting in a congregation to go, ah, that guy's giving me instruction, but look at his life. There's a different standard. And so here he's giving these instructions because they have to be given. Right? That's why we have most rules and laws, because somebody's done it. Now we have to make a rule that says, don't jump in the raging river that goes over the waterfall. Right? There has to be a sign now, because somebody's done it. Now, the, the National Park does not want to be liable, right? <clears throat> but notice what he says. He, there's instructions for these older men and older women. So here's what, remember, I told you to hold on to that. In context, it means older, like elderly. But what is that? Where do we mark the line, elderly? My youngest daughter likes to tease my mom that she's elderly because the internet said at a certain age, you're elderly. Right? But age is relative. It's relative to how old you are. It's also relative to who you're hanging out with. Right? When my wife and I, we're both in our 40s now. <laughs> Sorry, honey. I forgot, she's perpetually 29. <clears throat> We're having another annual 29th birthday party this year coming up. Uh, but no, but we're in our 40s. When we started in ministry, we were in our 20s. To some, they would say, well, we were younger. She was the younger woman. I was a younger man. But we, we began just for a short time teaching uh, children's ministry like four-year-olds, what was it, like four-year-olds to first grade or something? It was a horrible age to teach. Some could read, some couldn't read. It was like, what do I do with this group? But, but we loved them anyway. Uh, but then we quickly moved into uh, taking over a junior high ministry. So now we had an age range of kids from like 11 to 14. To them, my wife and I, we were elderly we, she was an older woman who was able to pour into the life of those younger 11 to 14-year-olds. Now, we, 
We recently got a letter from one of those 11 to 14-year-olds who is now in her mid-20s thanking us for pouring into her. Crystal. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My whole family's crying now. So, it's just allergies. Okay. My eyes are sweating. No, but... So, Crystal was an awesome kid. She's still awesome. But she's in her mid-20s now. She's an amazing worship leader. And that's where we were sort of spent a lot of time with her in particular was discipling and worship and what it means to be a worship leader, going through scriptures, learning how to play guitar better, all that kind of stuff. Well, now she sent us this letter thanking us for how we poured into her life. And she shared that now she is at... Calvary Costa Mesa at the School of Worship as a mid-20s. And she, she says in her letter, I, basically, I got into this a little late, so these, quote, kids that are here with me, I'm able to share with them the same things that you shared with me. And as a pastor, those are the things that you want, that you want to get, that mean so much. That's a, sort of an attaboy from the Holy Spirit to keep you going. So, needless to say, age is relative. So, now my wife, she's an old lady. Oh, sorry, honey. No, she's not. She's in her 20, no, 40s. But she can go to someone older than her, and they can still pour into her. And then that wisdom can be poured into younger. And it's just like a... a you ever see in, in Russia, they have these things called matryoshka dolls. And they, they're like a little wooden thing that's carved out and it's painted. And it's like a big, some of them, they kind of bobble, like a bobblehead type thing. And you can take it out, take the top off, and then there's another one inside. And then you can take that one off and there's another one inside. And you can take that one off and there's, and they go down to these little tiny things. I don't even know how they make them. But it's like that. It starts out the older and it just gets to the younger and to the younger and to the younger. And it can just keep going that way. So the instructions for these younger women that they admonish or they teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And again, like to me, this blows my mind that you have to instruct people to love their husbands and their children. And the word is literally to like show them affection. Why did he have to instruct that? Because it was a problem. It's a problem in our culture today too. Not just for women to love their husbands, but also husbands to love their wives. But to love your children, that's like a maternal instinct. Hello, it's natural. But in our culture, it's not. It has to be taught sometimes. Having come from a, a background working in the school district, um, I've shared before, I was part of a mental health uh, intervention team and we had to go when these kids were in crisis. And a lot of the kids that were in crisis came from what's called the Title I schools, lower demographics. And all, But it's all over the board. It's not just that lower demographic, but we seem to be in those schools a lot. And when we would go in and when we would talk to those kids, we found out that this is what they were lacking, love from parents. And then we'd get the parents in there. We'd start talking to them. We found out they were lacking 
love from parents. And sometimes grandma would come too, and you'd get information that grandma was lacking in love from parents. And there's this generational thing that goes on that causes problems, and it's happening in our culture too. So the instruction for the older women to the younger women is love your husband and show affection to your children. Our culture is so me-centered. It's all about self. Be an independent woman. You don't need no man to take care of you. Your kids are just a burden. They're in the way. They're keeping you from your dreams and goals. Our culture is screwed up. We have to be instructed in these things. So he also instructs to be discreet, self-controlled. That's what that is. To be chaste or pure, to be homemakers. And when you read that, it, the literal rendering is keeper of the home. That doesn't mean that every woman has to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to give you my opinion. And my wife works, so keep that in mind. Having a stay-at-home mom is the best thing you can do for your kids. I understand that not everybody can do that. And that's okay. But that doesn't take you off the hook from doing your role as loving your husband, loving your kids, being a keeper of the home. My wife was able to stay at home for, what, 15 years, something like that. It was great. But there came a time when things had to change. In order for us to, like, live, she's got to work. And now I don't think she wants to stay home anymore. But, uh, yeah, see, she says no. So it's okay. Don't be burdened by that. But if you can, it's the most wonderful thing you can do for your kids. Because you're there for them always. There's no latch key. There's no... Uh, you can monitor what's going on in your house. You can pour into them spiritual things uh, all throughout the day. And so to be good, which is self-explanatory, and then here's the one that, I mean, this is just nobody wants to talk about this, but obedient, submissive to their own husbands. I find that interesting too, because if you're not obedient to your own husband, whose husband are you being obedient to? But obedient to their own husbands, submissive to, you think, well, how does that work? Well, let me just tell you, the Bible gives us lots of instructions. If you go to the book of Ephesians, there's more instructions on this. But it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Before that, it says to submit to one another in the fear of God. There's always a compromise. And I can tell you this, when I'm walking with the Lord and I'm doing things the way the Bible says, and I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church, and I'm trying to keep Jesus first in our family, my wife has no problem following in line with that. But when I'm doing things that are sort of not in the will of God, and I'm making decisions on my own. I'm sort of, you know, just having a, a downtime, I guess, in my walk with the Lord. And I have things that I want her to, quote unquote, submit to. Man, it's a fight. But that, if you're doing things God's way, things 
fall into place a lot more smoothly. Compromise is another big thing in families. I heard a long time ago, we heard a long time ago in the church service when we were back when we were just pew potatoes, you know, and we used to just come to church and sit. And the pastor was talking about this subject and he shared about him and his wife were going out to buy a couch. And they got into, you know, the furniture store and he sees the couch. Black leather recliner. This is the one, honey. You've got to get this one. And she said, um, no. Right? And so they found another couch. She found the couch. And it was floral. And it was soft. And it, oh, this will look so good in our living room. This is the one. And he said, uh-uh. And so they said, instead of fighting with each other, over I'm right or you're right, they said, well, let's just keep looking until we both find one that we go, ah, this is the one. Compromise. And so they went and they shopped until they found, we've used that in our marriage for a lot of things and it's worked out really well. So to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, why? That the word of God may not be spoken evil of, blasphemed. That's why we do the things that we do. Number one, because Jesus tells us to, his word tells us to. But when we walk around and we live our lives as an example to those around us, when we say we're a Christian to our neighbor and then we're not living like what their thought of a Christian should be. They just go, I don't need any of that. I got enough of that in my own house. But if your life looks different and you create a thirst in people's lives and they go, I want what they got. I've been saying I'm a Christian my whole life, but my house, my family doesn't look like their family. That we want to create that third, and then they they come and they say, "What do you do that is so different? How often do you go to church? How much do you read your Bible?" And it's not about that. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. We just get to know Him. We spend time with Him. He's given us instructions. We do it. We believe what He says, and then it just naturally overflows. So then he says, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Again, this is speaking of clear-headed, to know what you believe. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that the one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Now, we realize people are always going to have things evil to say about us. But the idea, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, that word blameless, we talked about it, and it, it's the idea that nothing sticks. Accusations are going to fly, but nothing sticks. 
So he says here, Paul does, exhort, encourage, challenge, charge. That's what that means. The young men to be clear, to be clear minded, to know what they believe. It's not okay. I mean, when we're kids, we kind of tag along with our parents and we listen to what our parents say and we follow in line with what our parents do. And at some point, we become responsible for having our own relationship and our own walk with the Lord. And we got to get into the word and we got to study it and we got to know what we believe so that we're clear on those issues. And when you don't know, you go search out the answer. It, for the record, if you don't, if someone say someone at work knows you're a Christian and they come and ask you some question and you don't know the answer, just say you don't know. But I'm going to go find out and I'll get back to you. And then make sure you get back to them. It may take a week and you found the answer and then you go, hey, remember last week you asked me this? I got an answer. Right? Because then they'll know, number one, that you really care. But number two, that you don't know everything. We don't know everything. And then he says, in all things, speaking to Titus, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, in teaching, showing integrity. What's integrity? It's a word that we throw around a lot, but do we know what it means? Integrity has been defined as it's it's doing the right thing even when no one else is around. So in the teaching, show integrity. Do it right. In rev- reverence, incorruptibility. Right? But he says to, to Titus, show yourself as a pattern of good works. What's a pattern? Something you can follow. Right? If you're a, a sewer, dressmaker, whatever, they have patterns that you, I don't know if you put the thing on the material or the material on the pattern, but however it works, you understand the concept and you cut the material to the pattern. Something you can follow. Paul told the church in Corinth to follow me as I follow Christ. That is Jesus-style discipleship. To say, follow me as I follow Christ. And what it means is to open your life up to others so that you can, they can go with you and you can go with them through everything, the hills, the valleys. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. Discipleship is, is it's good to sit down with people and go through the word once a week or do something like that. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is you being able to see my life in action. Just like Jesus took his disciples, he said, you follow me. And when we do follow the leader, what, how's the game go? Right, the person in the front goes, and everybody in the back's got to do this. And then they do something else weird, and then you got to do that. It's following the leader. Jesus is at the head, but Paulo, uh, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
In other words, he's saying, watch my life. I'm following Jesus. Use my life as a pattern for what to do. And that's great. We should have people we can look to and go, that person is a, is a pattern in, uh, that I want to follow. I've ta- uh, you know, one of the uh, missionaries that this church supports, uh, Vlad and Sveta, who are in the country of Georgia, I've had the uh, privilege to spend quite a bit of time with Vlad in Russia uh, over a couple different trips that I went there. Vlad is the guy that I want to pattern my life after. The guy's like a, <laughs> how would you describe it? He's like a, he's like a, a, a walking, constant, spirit-filled believer. Like there's nothing that he does that he doesn't pray through and think about. I mean, we were walking to the, the restrooms from the baseball field to a gym next door where we had to go use the restrooms. Vlad had to come because he needed to translate for us. And as we're just, I mean, it's like 20 yards. And as we're walking this 20 yards to the restroom, he just starts praying. Oh, Lord, bless this baseball tournament. Cause these guys to really want to know you and use it as a way to open the door to share the gospel that's going to be shared at the end of the tournament. I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. Later on, we're down in Moscow, downtown. And we're, we're trying to find our way around. They had a whole bunch of construction detours. And we didn't really know how to get where we needed to go with the detours. And Vlad, again, just, oh, Lord, open a way. Show us how to go. And it, pff, everything just opened. I'm like, what? <laughs> this guy's amazing. If he comes back on one of his visits here, spend some time with him. He's an awesome guy. But patterns, that's, that's what it should do. Our life should be a pattern for someone else to look at and follow. And if, you know, last time we talked about the spiritual mirror, and if you're looking in that, I'm not going to bring the mirror up a lot today, but if you're looking in that spiritual mirror, is my life a pattern for people to follow? Could I say, follow me as I follow Christ, or could I only say, follow me as I follow Christ, except for when I go over there? Right? Maybe you've heard the analogy of the Christian life. Many people want to turn it into one of the Swanson's TV dinners. If you, are you familiar with those, the Swanson's TV dinners? They have the little compartments, and then you got like the main, the Salisbury steak or something. You've got the, you got green beans, uh, mashed potatoes, and then they usually have some kind of nasty dessert in them, right? And you got to heat it all up. And then when you get it out, it's like that, but people want to live their life. In this compartment, I have school. And in this compartment, I have work. And in this compartment, I have church. In this compartment, I'm at home. And in this compartment, right? And they want to separate every little compartment. The, the, the Bible teaches that our life should be like a chicken pot pie. You got all of it in one thing. It's all mixed together. Main ingredient is Jesus. And that's, that's the main thing that you do throughout your life and everything that you do is you follow Jesus. If that's the life you live, if that's the life I live, I should not be ashamed to tell anybody, follow me as I follow Christ. Are we going to be perfect? No, the Apostle Paul was not perfect. But man, he, set, he sure set a great pattern to follow. And so verse 9 Oh, I'm sorry. Let's verse eight. Sound speech again. That that 
solid, clear, um, safe speech that cannot be condemned. doesn't mean they won't try, but it can't be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. They, might, they may be ashamed because they're trying to condemn it, but they can't. They can't find fault in what you're saying. Remember, Jesus was being accused falsely. His accusers came, multiples of them, and they couldn't get their stories right. And Pilate said what? I find no fault in him. Didn't stop the crucifixion from happening, but still, no fault found. In verse 9, it says, exhort bondservants. So we've talked about this before. Bondservants are one who's purchased for a price to do work in this culture. And so he says, exhort bondservants. So you could say, in our culture today, you could say, exhort employees to be obedient to their own masters. So do what your boss tells you to do. Unless, what? Yeah, your boss is telling you to do something against God's word. Then it's okay. But aside from that, do what your boss asks you to do. You work for a company, they ask you to do something, do it. Right? Well, my job is to make boxes, and they're telling me that they want me to go pack lug nuts. Well, that's not my job. They're paying you. Your job's to do what they ask you to do. But to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in, what does that say? All things. Not just some, but in everything. Not answering back. You guys ever work with somebody who just like, the boss gives an instruction, they're like, why? I'm not doing that. Man, it's so uncomfortable. You're trying to like, you know, be on the, quote, the side of your team, but you also don't want to be a rebel to your boss, and you're like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's uncomfortable. And it makes Jesus look bad. Because again, if you're living your life in that chicken pot pie mode where Jesus is the main ingredient, everybody should know that you're a believer. Right, our pastor's wife in, in Texas, um, Tanya, she shared one time something. I, I, was, I was like listening in on one of the ladies' uh, things. And if guys, if you don't do that every once in a while, listen to Lydia teach the the women's Bible study, or listen to some other pastors' wives, they give you a whole different perspective on the Word of God. Sometimes they do a lot better. But Tanya, Tanya said one time that she has made it a habit in her life of within the first five minutes of meeting people, I want to introduce that I'm a born-again Christian. And so when you, when you have that sort of mindset, I go, man, that's awesome. I like that. I, I've tried to do that. I don't always do it, but I've tried to do that to, to like when I meet people and they're like, oh, so you moved from Texas to Utah. Well, what, why'd you do that? Oh, well, because I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm here to church plant and, you know, and they're like, really? And it just sometimes it opens doors. Sometimes they go, oh, okay, and then want to run away. But, uh, but uh, 
But that's such a great way to like have that sort of outlet to try to get that into a conversation. It number one lets people know. It also puts them on guard. You know, then you'll find people that like usually the guy like if you work in a place that's like guy centric, right? Like I was a police officer for a long time. A lot of dudes, right? A lot of foul language, locker room talk. But if you let everybody know that you're a Christian, typically what they'll do is they go, oh, they'll start coughing, bleep, 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 and then they're like, there's a woman in the room. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. But now they know I'm a Christian, and they're like, bleep, 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 and they're like, oh, sorry, bro. It's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> you can just say stuff, it's okay, Jesus still loves you. But let people know these things, then, it, then you don't have to like, feel uncomfortable or try to bring it in later on down the road after you've been sort of going with the flow all this time. But so, but not answering back. Then he says, not pilfering, not stealing, but showing all good fidelity or good honesty that you may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior in all things. So when he's saying here, not pilfering, we think of like, I think King James says purloining. It's a pretty cool word, but but here it says pilfering, not stealing, not taking things that don't belong to you. Think that means like, ah, they don't use these paper clips. I'm just going to take a stack of them for the house. You're stealing. You're not leaving a good witness. I need some extra paper from my printer at home. I'm just going to take some. I needed a pen. They got so many here they won't miss these. No, you're leaving a bad witness. It's not just ripping off from the cash register. How about stealing time? Are you one that tends to, you say you're a Christian, but then you're late coming back from every break or you're late coming back from lunch, even though you left a little bit early. You're not giving that time back. Again, how are we living our lives? Are we examples of Jesus? I hate it when I work in a place and somebody says they're a Christian, and I watch them do things like everybody else do, does. And I'm like, the last place I was working, prior to my current job, there was a guy there saying, I'm a Christian. He'd, he'd be sharing the gospel with people and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's great, dude, but you cuss all day long with everybody else. I forget what it was now, but there was something, I just couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, Hey, man, is that what Jesus would want you to do? He's like, oh, why are you going to hit me with that, man? Now I feel bad. You should have felt bad before. You're telling people about Jesus, and then you're doing these things. You're not representing him correctly. So if you're going to live it and you're going to speak it, I mean, if you're going to speak it, then live it. But this is the instructions. Again, why it was a problem in that culture, it's a problem in our culture. We need to be instructed in these things. Now that you've been instructed, you know better, so act right. But not pilfering, showing all good honesty, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. I'll tell you a quick story. I think i got some time here. But I was working at a police department. I call this the story of the mustache bandit, Okay. So they had, we had a lectern in the front of our uh, roll call room or briefing room uh, where, the, you know, we'd come in the, before the shift. The sergeant would stand and say, oh, you're working here. You're working here. We got to watch out for this or that, you know, kind of like on chips, how they do. Uh, if you've seen chips, if you don't know what chips is, ask your parents. But <clears throat> but 
But I came into that, that yeah, right. Dun, 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 dun. I came into the, the room and I'm going like this because the door was here and the thing was there. And I walk in and they've got on the desk, they've got a wanted poster. Right? And for whatever reason, I'm like, this wanted poster is like, this guy needs a mustache. So I drew this sweet like handlebar mustache on this, this thing, right? No big deal. Nobody around, not a person around. And walked out like I didn't even think twice about it. Weekend went by, came back to work, and our sergeant tells us before we were going to get ready, he's like, oh, last week there was a wanted poster on the thing up here, and somebody drew a mustache on it. And I'm like, oh, man. And he's like, the lieutenant is hot. He is like talking about firing people over this stuff. He goes, and this was his words, my sergeant, he goes, well, I know, I know none of you did it, right? And then he just went on. And I'm like, oh, I got to do the right thing. I'm going to get fired for drawing a mustache on a stupid wanted poster, right? So I didn't say anything. I'm like, I'm having this, immediately having this battle with the Lord telling me to do the right thing and my flesh telling me, just ignore it. And I'm having this battle. I'm like, no, I'm not, I can't. I'm not going to go rat on myself because I don't want to get fired. So I'm driving around and like the Lord's like, you got to do the right thing. You got to do the right thing. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm not getting fired over this, Lord. Right? And then I'm thinking like, I got to do the right thing. And I'm like, my wife, you know, there was a time when the Lord showed me to, to just quit a job and walk away and trust him for what was next. And she was like, I'm behind you, babe. Let's do it. And I'm like, sweet. Okay, I quit. Right? This time I'm like, She's behind me for that, for sharing the gospel, for whatever. But if I tell her I got fired for drawing a mustache, like, I'm in trouble. So I, like, I let it go. I didn't go. I was working graveyard shift. I didn't go in and say anything. I went home that day. I couldn't sleep a wink. I was miserable, tossing and turning in bed and just couldn't sleep. Got out of bed. Went to work. I'm still fighting this. Like, I'm not going to say anything. Nobody knows. What's the big deal? The Lord would not leave me alone. The hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He was after me. And I went, finally, uh, towards the end of the shift, I I sent my sergeant a message. I said, his name was Lane. I said, Lane, I got to meet with you, man. And as soon as I made the decision to do the right thing, the burden lifted. I had absolute and complete peace in my heart. I had the the attitude of, if I get fired, I get fired. If not, praise the Lord. But I will be at peace with God. And the Lord brought that scripture, you know, where David has sinned with Bathsheba and, and, uh, you know, he's been called out on it. And then he, in the Psalms, and I I didn't look this up because it wasn't part of my plan today, but he, in the Psalms, he says, what? He says, yeah, you create in me a clean heart. But he says that during that time that I was trying to run, my bones were dry, like dried up. I was just miserable. I couldn't go on. And the idea that he puts forth there is that it would be, Worse for me to never hear from the Lord again than it would be to suffer the consequences. So, Lord, forgive me. And then it says he was immediately forgiven. And then he's able to say, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Right? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose God is the Lord.
So we want to be a good example. And I had to do that. The Lord made me do that because everybody there knew I was a Christian. I've been sharing the gospel with them at times and gone to the hospital and prayed with people at times. And now here I have a chance to show what it means. I'm going to skip out on it? God wouldn't let me. I could have chosen to, but I still think I'd have dryness in my bones. So, while we're on this topic of employees, you were hired by your boss to do a job. You were not hired to share the gospel all day. Is it important to share the gospel with your coworkers? Absolutely. At lunch, at break, after work, when you go out for coffee. But when you're working, your job is to do whatever you've been hired to do and to do it better than anybody else has done it. That's how you be a witness at work. If you make boxes, make more boxes than anybody else. And when somebody says, why? Because Jesus is my boss and I'm doing it for him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything as unto the Lord. So moving on. Training by grace, right? So for the grace of God, oh, I skipped one thing, so important, I'm sorry, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. When we put, it's like the idea, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, is that you become a walking epistle when you adorn the, the doctrine or the teaching of God. It's that word adorn is where we get like cosmetics, like makeup. Paint it on, wear it proudly, the teaching of God. You literally become a walking epistle. So it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace is a gift. It's unmerited favor. It's not something we have to work for or earn. It's something that God gives to us. And it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This word appeared has the idea of like on a cloudy night, the star or the clouds pull away and now the stars have appeared. It has the idea of someone on a stage that's dark and a spotlight shining on them. It has appeared. How has it appeared? Jesus came as a baby He was raised sinless. He died on the cross. He fulfilled all the prophecies about him. And he rose again the third day. We went from an old covenant under the law into a new covenant under the blood. The old covenant is not bad in and of itself, but it complements the new covenant. We're no longer bound by the law, but we're bound by grace. We're, we're told in Galatians that the law was a tutor, a teacher to keep us in line until Christ. Now we're under grace and grace teaches us something. That's what we're going to learn right here. Grace teaches us that what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Again, this has nothing to do with alcohol. This is clear-minded. 
You should deny ungodly and worldly lust. You know what that means? We have to die to ourselves every day. Jesus said, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That didn't mean one time. That means every day, sometimes moment by moment. Our culture teaches self-promotion, self-esteem, self-this and self-that, me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Terrell Owens, a football player from back in the 90s, he's famously quoted as saying, I love me some me. That's the problem. We all love me some me. Me needs to die and we need to let Jesus take over in our lives. It says in Colossians that we are hidden in Christ. And when he appears, then we get to come back with him. So denying ungodliness and worldly lust, and that's hard in our culture, to be honest, because everything around us is ungodly. The worldly lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're always pulling against us. But we should live soberly, righteously, godly living, and godly in the present age. Present, again, King James says, in the present world. This is how we are to live. It doesn't say anything about where you live. It doesn't say anything about what generation you live. But it says this is how we are to live. And then it says, here's what the next thing we should be doing, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be looking for Jesus. The Bible was written in such a way that every generation from the time Jesus rose again until he comes back at the second coming, or at the, we could say the rapture or, uh, and the second coming, is to look for Jesus. Right? Think about history. The, the early Christians thought Jesus was coming because of what was transpiring with Rome. And they lived like he was coming at any moment. Paul wrote his letters like Jesus was going to show up at any moment. In, in World War II, they thought Jesus was coming because of what was going on with the Holocaust and, and all of the, the countries fighting and warring against each other. They thought Jesus was coming when Elvis started singing and swinging his hips. When rock and roll music was introduced. But that's the idea. If we're living our lives in a biblical way, there's things always going on. Recently, I was listening to Pastor Chuck Smith teaching from like the early 80s. And the things that he was teaching, you could rip them out of the headlines from today. I think Jesus is closer to coming now than he ever has been. But every generation needs to live like he's coming. Are you ready? Jesus taught about, he was a whole chapter that he taught about being ready. Are you ready? Looking for his appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself. Worship team, you guys want to come up uh, for us that he might redeem, the word is ransom, us from every lawless deed. You have a clean slate with Jesus. And purify for who? Him. His own special people. You are special to Jesus. If you're not part of the family, join today. He doesn't love you anymore once you become a Christian than he did when you were living and wallowing in sin. 
His love for you has been the same always. And he wants to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. This is what you're supposed to teach the church, Titus. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Father, we thank you for your word and for the time that you've given us in it. God, there's so much instruction that we can walk away with today. And I pray that these things would be be worked out and working out in our lives. Lord, we want to know you more. We want more of you in our lives. I, I do. God, you said that we should pray for the Holy Spirit and that if we pray and ask for the Holy Spirit that you would give him. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would fill this place, fill each person with your Holy Spirit to overflowing that our lives would be a testimony and a witness unto you.